Welcome to episode 29 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI supervisory special agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I'm going to take some time to talk about some recent cybersecurity headlines to help inform, educate, and protect. So I don't have a guest for this particular episode of the podcast. I, I had a, a show planned for, for early last week, uh, but the friend of mine who was going to help me out uh, had to delay it for a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about leadership. Uh, there's a story I'm going to talk about at the end that I'll discuss why I'm, I'm doing that particular uh, episode. But this episode, we're going to talk about some headlines I've seen recently. So this is going to be a solo, solo podcast, if you will. Uh, which good for you. It'll be a little shorter than than my normal forty five minute to an hour one because I have anybody to interview other than really talk to myself. Uh, but before I do that, I want to thank you all for listening. I appreciate your patience in me getting these podcasts out in a somewhat irregular basis. Uh, as you know, for everybody, life happens. Um, so I work full time for the National Cybersecurity Operations Center here in Huntsville. Um, and I do this podcast. I produce the College Soccer Nation podcast uh, with uh, my brother and his uh, buddy from SMU, who are our college soccer coaches. And we have some fun doing that. And so, and then just life happens. I'm trying to work out, trying to eat better, trying to do all the right things to to live a longer, healthier life. So, I'm am I using those as an excuse? It does sound like I am, so apparently I will say that I am using that as an excuse. But I am efforting to to get these podcasts out more frequently. I just got an email that I, I bypassed the 5,000 download mark. So I really, really appreciate everybody listening and downloading and, and telling their friends to listen to the podcast. I'm hoping you're finding value with it, and I'm hoping I can bring you value as we go forward in the months and, and years to come doing this podcast. Because one thing we do know, or one thing I know, and hopefully that you know, the cyber threat environment is not going to change. Well, I take that back. It is going to change. It's probably going to get worse. It's going to constantly evolve, and we're never going to be at a time where we don't have to worry about the cyber risk that's impacting our families, ourselves, and our businesses. So hopefully I'm bringing value to the time you are spending listening to the podcast. I always appreciate feedback. Feel free to email me, darren at thecyberguy.com. The email is in the information part of the podcast, so you can see it there. Uh, if you've emailed email me for you know my email address, so it's not a problem. I'm also happy to listen to suggestions for future topics. I do have a couple things coming up, again, like I mentioned, on leadership. I do have the unhackable hard drive episode coming. I just have to set up the time with the creator of that. So I know a couple people have mentioned that to me, that they're looking forward to that one. So hopefully I will get that one here sooner rather than later. So with that, let's talk some headlines that uh, have occurred over the last several days. Some of them are pretty interesting. Actually, they're all interesting. Some of them are kind of severe in the sense of you need to listen to them and, and take note of what's going on and make some changes perhaps, especially in your business environments, depending on how your business networks are set up, or at least passes information to your IT or security folks. So they're at least aware of it and paying attention to it. So the first one, the headline basically is Microsoft Exchange Zero Day Attacks 30,000 servers hit already, says report. This is from ZNet.com. Yeah, ZNet. Yeah, ZDNet.com, excuse me. Liam Tung reporting. This is an article from this morning. But basically it's saying that um, four previously unknown or zero-day vulnerabilities in Microsoft Exchange Server are now being used in widespread attacks against thousands of organizations with potentially tens of thousands of organizations affected according to security research. So first thing, if you don't know what a zero-day vulnerability is, it's essentially a vulnerability that's been discovered that has no fix to it. So uh, when an attacker finds this, these are the most valuable of malware 
or, or exploits that a hacker can use because there is no defense to it. They found a vulnerability in this case in Microsoft Exchange Server. This is the server application that companies use to do their email, which for hackers, email is the the main conduit for exploitation to get into a network. So if you can exploit an email server, you have found the mother load. So there are four bugs that are tracked uh, by Microsoft, and you can look this up, Microsoft Exchange Zero-Day Attack, you'll find them. I'm not going to read off the, the CVE numbers here. But essentially, they are tied to a Chinese hacking group, which is no big surprise. Uh, it, this got so bad that even the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, issued an order to all federal agencies to apply patches for on-premises exchange servers or simply disconnect them from being used. So that's how bad it was. Either fix it or disconnect it. So, um, and again, this only pertains largely to on-premises exchange servers. So if you are using Microsoft Exchange, but you have the server on-premises, meaning you control it and you control everything in it, there are at least four vulnerabilities that you need to patch. This got so bad that Microsoft issued four emergency patches this week, which are out of band for their patch protocols, which means this was an important patch or important problem they were trying obviously to resolve so um, a couple other uh, things in this article Uh, chris krebs the former director of cisa uh, reckons that government agencies and small businesses will be the most affected by these attacks uh, as opposed to large enterprises who are likely using uh, not using on-premises email exchanges servers they're probably using like office 365 which has its own set of of particular potential risk but less so in this particular case so the key here really is to make sure that if you have microsoft exchange server on your premises in your business that you look up this CISA report and a microsoft security notice that would have come to you that kind of talks to you through how to fix those particular patches. I know our, our organization has this, and we were doing patches the day after this came out. So uh, it's particularly important to make sure that you fix these zero-day exploits because, well, honestly, once the bad guys exploit it and are in your system, trying to get them out is going to be a problem, especially if they're rooting around in your email system, reading emails for intellectual property-related information, for corporate information that they can either – monetize criminally or used to exploit against you for ransomware. I mean, there are a lot of different things they can do uh, once they're into your system. So if you, again, if you're using Microsoft Exchange on your premises, you need to make sure you, you plug those holes immediately. So news article number two, I should have played that little sound effect the first one. I forgot. My apologies. But this particular um, article, yes, nice music is from the Asia Times. It is Andrew Salman reporting, and the headline is Cyber Warriors Glimpse into North Korea's Operation Chaos. Essentially what this article is talking about, it's a several-part article that talks about North Korean hackers and their capabilities. And in the past, when I was with the FBI doing security briefings, the three big countries we talked about from a cybersecurity threat perspective were North Korea, I'm I'm sorry, Russia, China, and Iran. North Korea was a distant fourth, but I would say North Korea is becoming equivalent to Iran in severity in the sense that they have a pretty, well, they have a growing cybersecurity apparatus within their intelligence service, and they're using that in a different Mean, for different means than, say, China or Russia. They are using it largely for criminal activity. They are looking to steal information for monetary gain to support 
the regime. Obviously, because of sanctions and other issues with North Korea, they are looking for ways to monetize information they can steal online. So on February 16th, it was alleged that North Korean hackers had hacked pharmaceutical company Pfizer with the aim of stealing information about its COVID-19 vaccine. It is unclear whether the hackers succeeded, but subsequently European intelligence officials told Reuters that North Korea planned to produce counterfeit vaccines to sell on the global back market. This is a huge monetary, would have been a huge monetary gain for them or win for them if they if they made it effective. Uh, and it kind of shows the growing concern that intelligence agencies are having regarding North Korea and their blatant um, use of cyber criminal activity to steal information, intellectual property, to do ransomware, things of that nature. Um, Now, in association with this, on February 17th, the day after this occurred, the U.S. Department of Justice indicted two North Koreans and expanded charges against a third for their involvement in a vast multiplicity of cybercrimes, including the 2014 attack on Sony Entertainment and the 2017 global WannaCry DDoS attack. So if you remember, if you go back seven years when uh, there was a movie coming out called The Interview with Seth Rogen and James Franco that put the North Korean regime in a negative light, let's just say. I never watched the movie, but I kind of know what it's about. North Korea was not happy at this, uh, and so they hacked into Sony Entertainment, released emails from within the system that ultimately the president of Sony had to quit. There was a it wasn't really a huge incident where where everybody here listening was impacted negatively unless you worked for Sony then of course you were probably impacted somewhat negatively but it showed the extent to which North Korea was successful in doing cyber attacks jump ahead 3 years WannaCry in 2017 at the time was the largest this case they're calling it a denial of service attack but WannaCry had a ransomware a ransomware part to that. So it was a huge uh, attack campaign, which has been tied, apparently, according to this indictment, to the North Koreans. So there's an interesting article, an interesting line in this particular article that I found somewhat amusing and posted it on LinkedIn and gave some more information there as to why I thought this was a particularly amusing statement within this article. And, and again, if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, um, I post stuff on there usually daily that has to do with cybersecurity stuff, so you can find more information there if, if you're so inclined. But they, they were talking about how North Korea uses cyber actors to further their means. and it, it, So there's two, two, two lines here. North Korea's cyber arm is probably on par with the North Korean nuclear threat, or more of a threat, said Chun Inboom, a retired major general who formerly led South Korea's Special Warfare Command. And I would assume he would know. Here's the interesting statement, which I found somewhat amusing. The U.S. and the Chinese and the Russians and the Israelis have cyber capability, but they are tied down by informational norms. Now, the reason I laugh at that, if anyone thinks there are any international norms regarding cyber activity, be it cyber espionage, cyber crime, cyber warfare, whatever, they are fooling themselves. There is nobody following any kind of international norms when it comes to cyber activity. If you take a look at what China does in stealing intellectual property, if you take a look at the the Russians groups, Cozy Bear, Fancy Bear, their interactions with the elections, um, not that they change any votes, mind you, but they certainly used efforts to make us question the validity of our election process, you know, they are not acting by any kind of international norms. And even the U.S., let's be honest, what the intelligence services do from a cyber perspective probably might be considered somewhat outside of, of international norms. Same with the Israelis. So uh, let's be frank. Everybody is doing everything they can within the cyber arena, which is why, from a personal perspective for you, 
your business and your family, understand that there are no rules within this cyber game. There are they cyber bad guys are looking for ways to exploit networks, exploit, exploit infrastructure, and exploit your vulnerabilities and your culpabilities. Well, I guess that's the wrong the wrong term. Your your vulnerabilities and your uh, what's a better better term? Your insecurities, I guess, to get information, to steal your personal information, to steal your corporate information, to do all sorts of bad things online. So just know that we have a new player in the field to go along with Russia, China, Iran, North Korea is becoming much more of a problem. And you'll probably see more news articles regarding North Korean cyber attacks. You'll probably see more of that than you will necessarily of the um, nuclear their nuclear activity variety. All right, uh, another interesting article has to do with a massive supply chain cyber attack that breached several airlines. So this is from ThreatPost.com. Reporting is Becky Bracken. Uh, and essentially, there was a cyber attack on an IT vendor who services 90% of the world's airlines. They're, the name of the company is CITA, S-I-T-A. And they were breached, compromising, here's the best part, passenger data stored in the company's U.S. servers in what the company is calling a highly sophisticated attack. The affected servers are in Atlanta and belong to the CITA passenger service system. Uh, company spokeswoman Edna Aya Yahil told ThreatPost, CITA PSS operates the system for processing airliner passenger data and belongs to a group of CITA companies headquartered in the EU. Now, this is a problem for CITA because if they're headquartered in the EU, chances are they have tons of EU personal data, and they're going to get fined up the wazoo under GDPR, but that's a problem they're going to have to deal with. But essentially, the point here being that, you know, the company CITA didn't comment specifically on type of data is exposed, but it's safe to say that it includes personal data of airline passengers. So since this particular company services 90% of the airline's worldwide chances are pretty good you had some personal data particularly related to your frequent flyer information monitored in some way or compromised in some way shape or form so if you've not received any kind of notification from your airline that your frequent flyer information has been compromised assume it has been that is your better route which means go to your frequent flyer company, whatever, if you have frequent flyers with United, Delta, whatever, change your passwords immediately. And as I always say, make sure you have multi-factor authentication turned on anyway. That way, if they've stolen information, which I would think in this case, it's unlikely there was password information compromised, but Lord only knows what necessarily was compromised or, or how they can then use it. But just understand that, you know, your, any information associated with your frequent flyer account has likely been compromised by a bad actor somehow. So this is some more notes from the article. While details on how the attack happened are scant, Hacker One Solutions architect Shlomi Libero said Sita's trove of personal data would be tantalizing for cyber criminals. Obviously. I think the last report I saw is that individual pieces of personal data is worth about 38 bucks online. So if you were able to steal information on a million people, $38 million you could sell it for on the dark web. So um, it says, again, in this article, it's not clear what the attack vector was, but Hacker One vulnerability data shows that the aviation and aerospace industry show more privilege escalation and SQL injection vulnerabilities in any industry, meaning this probably was not an email attack. It was probably some other vulnerability within their software system or the way their network was set up. They got the bad guy in, but this article is not going to tell you what it is because probably they don't know, but it shows an interesting 
trend that we're seeing across multiple industries, and that is the supply chain attack, meaning they're not necessarily attacking companies directly. They are attacking those companies that service the companies they want to get into. So say SolarWinds, which we're going to talk about here in a second, was the first one to really highlight this as a big issue. And here is this one against airlines. You will probably likely see the word supply chain attack become a part of our daily cybersecurity mantra uh, for the foreseeable future. As bad guys realize that they can get into third-party networks and access the data they want to steal through these third-party attacks. So, um, for example, um, there was a school here locally or within Alabama or the southeast, if you will, that had a ransomware attack. The, the, the way that particular ransomware happened, as I understand it, is a third party came in to do some work on the network, and they gave that company access to their network with passwords and logins. They never removed those logins and passwords, and bad things happened to that particular school district. So it just kind of shows that you have to you know, look beyond your employee set to make sure you secure your data, secure your networks, because there are all sorts of ways to get in. One of the biggest intrusions in memory in the last 10 years is the target breach. If you talk about data breaches, people will inevitably bring up the target breach. And for those who don't know, most folks probably listening to this do know, because I think I've talked about it before, but the way that target was compromised was they did not hack into target. They hacked into the air conditioning company that serviced a target store and they got malware onto a laptop used by this AC company. So when that company went to service the air conditioner at a target store, they plugged their laptop into the AC system, which gave the, the bad guys access ultimately to the target network. And they pivoted around on the network and were able to steal all sorts of credit card information. And it kind of just shows the interconnectivity of all your stuff. Uh, if you take a look at your house independently, go look at your network router if you can, if you have the capability to do that, and see how many networks or how many devices are connected to your network. Uh, my guess is if you, if I was to ask you, if I was to call you on the phone and say, tell me how many devices are attached to your home network, you'd probably say, I don't know, seven. When in reality, it's probably closer, if you think of all the things you've attached to your home network, it's probably closer to 2024. I think I did this test myself a couple weeks ago on a podcast with Scott Augenbaum and I had 24 devices connected to my home network. My wife and I are the only ones living here currently. So at 24 devices, that includes my iMac, my, you know, I, my, my, our MacBook pros, our iPads, our iPhones, all of our cameras, all that kind of stuff. So lots of things connected to the networks and things you have to stay on top of from a security perspective to make sure that if someone were to hack my my remote camera system at the remote camera company, and that gave them access to that company's complete suite of cameras all nationwide. That would certainly be a problem. Uh, so you, you know, it'd be a good idea to inventory the devices on your network. Speaking of SolarWinds, this is another article from ThreatPost. In this case, it is Lindsay O'Donnell reporting. Headline is Microsoft and FireEye unmask more malware linked to the SolarWinds solar attackers. So this is interesting because the SolarWinds, and I said this on Twitter, I mean, I'm sorry, on LinkedIn, uh, SolarWinds is the gift that just keeps on giving because researchers have uncovered more custom malware that's being used by the threat group behind the SolarWinds attack. Researchers with Microsoft and FireEye identified three new pieces of malware that the company said are being used in late-stage activity by the threat actor, previously called SolarGate by Microsoft and now renamed Nobelium. 
and called UNC 2542 by fire. Everybody has their own different naming designations so that when you reference that naming designation, you gave credit to the company that named it. So let's go with Nobelium as the Microsoft um, term for this. So the malware families include a backdoor that's called Goldmax, a dual-purposed malware called Sibit, and a malware called Goldfinder. Now, this particular article doesn't get into a whole lot of detail as to uh, exactly what these things do. But, for example, the Goldmax um, uh, particular, they, they go in a little bit onto what these what these particular pieces of malware do. The, uh, with Goldmax, a backdoor was uploaded um, by a U.S.-based entity to a public malware repository in August. Um, it shows it's a second-stage backdoor that demonstrates straightforward but elegant detection evasion techniques while it's blend-in traffic capabilities and command and control. Basically, what this means is it creates a second backdoor. So once you close the first backdoor, there's a second one or a third one that's available for the bad guys to get into that no one knows to look for or no one knows to find. But this creates a huge problem for your incident response and forensic folks because they, in addition to finding the initial intrusion vector when someone gets into your network, they now have to find second and third ways in how does this impact you uh, personally uh, probably doesn't a whole lot but like i said before in the previous article think of all the net all the devices connected to your home network you know how are they being updated if you have a let's say you have a samsung i have a samsung tv in this room i'm sitting in right now and it is connected to my network so if i were to update the the firmware on that on that tv actually i have it set up to automatically update if I'm a bad guy and I can get into Samsung's updating process, kind of like the way SolarWinds guys did. So the SolarWinds guys, SolarWinds is a company that manages ITs for other companies. In other words, if you want to know what's on your network, SolarWinds is kind of the, the software that, that does that in, in a very generalized explanation for what SolarWinds does. They got into the back, the, the updating system of SolarWinds allowed them to get into victim companies when SolarWinds did an update that's how they got in. And I have a whole podcast on SolarWinds. If you go back and look, you'll find it. And if you want more information on how SolarWinds is it. But think about all these other companies. So you update your phones, you update your TVs, you update your your doorbell cameras. If I'm a bad guy and I get into Samsung, let's say, and I compromise the update system for TVs, I could theoretically get into or get malware onto a TV, which if I wrote it correctly and it's connected to the network, could theoretically pivot off of that TV and get into the computers connected to my network. Now, it's a long stretch to go to for that to really be a huge risk to home users, but it's something to at least to think about, to be aware of, to understand that this could happen and think to yourself, okay, I have a, a TV, it's a smart TV, but it's connected to uh, an Apple TV. Do you then need the smart applications associated with that smart TV turned on. If you're using Apple TV or you're using Roku, let's say, as your TV provider for that device, and you're not using the built-in smart TV processes of the TV, turn it off. That's one less thing you have connected to your network. So think about these things, that all of these large corporate cyber problems can trickle down to individual problems for the home user. So take an inventory as what's connected to your home network and understand does it all have to be on? I mean, I'll be honest. I have a Peloton bicycle, and it update. I get updates periodically on that to turn it up to 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 update the Peloton bicycle. 
I mean, it's at least the one thing I do is I turn off the bike when I'm done with it. So it's not on all the time, but you know, a lot of people probably, if you have a Peloton bike, you have it on all the time. It's connected to your network. And I'm not saying Peloton has been compromised, but if I'm a bad guy and I realize that Peloton has seen their business jump 130% over COVID because everybody's buying these devices to work out from home, I'm going to figure out a way to get into those bikes. Not that I have information on the bicycle itself that's interesting to me, but there might be a way to, to jump that connection of the Peloton bike to your home network to get into other things, other computers or other devices on a home network that might be of interest to me. Again, it's going to take a lot of coding and some pretty smart guys to be able to do that, but it's it's certainly not outside the realm of possibilities. All that being said, understand how when you see these large corporate um, news stories about companies being compromised and zero-day vulnerabilities and all the stuff I've talked about today – you know, there's a reason I am pointing these out because these all trickle down to us as home users. And we want to keep ourselves safe, our personal information safe, our family safe, our kids safe. You know, you have kids playing on, and I'm going to do a a podcast here in in the next couple episodes on how to keep your kids safe online. So that'll be specifically to that. But there's a lot of different ways that kids can get in trouble online. Kids can be targeted online by bad guys. But again, I'll talk about that coming up in a bit. And finally, my last uh, news article for the day. Apologies for the um, inability to do my little uh, news bumper here in a timely manner. But this is actually a good news story and good news in the sense it's good news for all of us, but bad news for hackers. So it's kind of funny. Uh, this is, again, it's from Threat Post. And if you can't tell, I like Threat Post. They have good information. But the title for this one, and Becky Bracken is the reporter, it's called Cyber Attackers Target Top Russian Cybercrime Forum. So this is hacker on hacker crime. Nothing better than that, quite honestly. So reading from the article, elite Russian forums for cyber criminals have been hacked in a string of breaches, leaving hackers edgy and worried about law enforcement. That warms the cockles of my heart, that single sentence all by itself. So Maza, a place online for fraudsters and extorters to connect and pull off their operations, has been breached by an unknown attacker in just the latest in a series of attacks targeting elite Russian language cybercrime forums. Members are worried that their data is being used by researchers and law enforcement to track down their two their true identities, a new report from Flashpoint said. Dear God, I hope that is the case. I'm going to read a little more of this because it just makes me makes me laugh. So um, let's see. Quote, Maza is a place where one can connect to trustworthy threat actors who have been active in the Russian language underground between 20, 10 to 20 years. Um, Flashpoint Vice President Thomas Hoffman explained to ThreatPost. Ultimately, quote again, the forum serves the role of a board where one can establish initial contact with respect and trustworthy service providers. To get into this place, you got to like have, have another bad guy say, yeah, this is a bad guy. You have to pay a monthly fee to be on top of it and all this kind of stuff. But here's a, here's a bolded headline to a paragraph that says cybercrime enforcement goldmine. Again, as a cyber investigator, the word goldmine and enforcement is just fantastic for me. But piece together, the exfiltrated data from these cybercrime forums could provide investigators with valuable information on the true identities of some of the world's most prolific criminals, cyber criminals. And this is what makes me laugh is because you've got these. So, this, And this is why I didn't undercover on this on with criminal guys you know, 15, 16 years ago. And they have poor operational security. Much like, I mean, just like it's easy to use social engineering 
for to get people to give up information. Even these bad guys who think they're you know, who are who are very good at being cyber criminals, mind you. But once they get into a very secure area where they think everybody's vetted and everybody's on the up and up, then they get lazy. They log in to these forums from their home addresses, from their their personal cell phones, and that gives investigators tons of information that makes it very easy to identify who these bad guys are. And this particular forum dates back to 2003. And in the latest breach of this Maza forum, uh, attackers made off with user IDs, names, passwords, emails, and more. So say a, say a, say happy thoughts for whoever did this, be it another bad guy who's just ticked off at what Maza did because they didn't let him in, or if it, this is law enforcement doing it, you know, thank you to who, whatever law enforcement agency may have done that. That is awesome. So I'll leave you with that piece of good cyber news for the day. And with that, I'm going to thank you again for taking the time to uh, listen to the Cyber Guy podcast. I hope you found some of this information useful. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, they can find the Cyber Guy podcast on all of the favorite podcast locations, Stitcher, Google Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn, I think. Uh, feel free to spread the word. Again, thank you for helping me get over 5,000 downloads. If you find this information valuable and you have a group that's looking for a speaker on cybersecurity matters, feel free to pass them my name and information in my email address. I do do uh, outside speaking engagements periodically when asked. It's, it helps me to blend my educational masters and my cybersecurity masters. With that, keep in mind that all this information is provided to you because knowledge is protection. The more you know, the safer you'll be. Thanks very much. Have a good week.